one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Because You're Home. Today, as it's New Year and in January, we're kind of looking at young things and new life. Um, so new we're looking year. at new, yeah, new year. year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> new so year, new movies. Yeah, new movies. Please, please, new movies. God damn it. Um, we were looking into remakes and revivals. And if anyone has been listening to the previous episodes, they know remakes aren't really my forte yeah one of the few remakes that I truly do love is the thing um I like a remake that can do uh take it down like a different avenue of some way shape or form not just redo it but because it's been 20 or 30 years that you won't notice the difference yeah people don't watch old films but anyway so I looked into revivals any kind of film that brought life whether the film was good or bad uh, that brought life kind of into a horror movie franchise. So like nothing stays dead in Hollywood, especially now in this modern age. They can't leave things be. I find it's, if you look since the early 2000s, it's mm-hmm. either been a reboot to an old franchise or they've remade the film. And they just, it, it just like, because it proves so financially successful that they're like, style over substance it's just redo the film that worked well let's do it again one thing actually my sister was talking to me about this as well and she studied film and tv and she was like you do realize why there's so many of them and I was like huh and she was like since the recession there just isn't move money in movies and creating a whole new story and a whole new like script and all this stuff so often they are taking things that they can totally change but and put their own stamp on it but it is actually that kind of the skeleton and the bones are there already and I was like oh I didn't think of it that way yeah I suppose if you've got a really good original script that Mm. could go for a few million by a studio and then they're like oh well we could go for that one for a few million or just hack something together that was and like change one or two things on it and then just sell it wrap it up as something new yeah yeah so like that's not to say that there weren't good original films in the 2000s and the 2010s like we've been talking about all those films from the decades as well like like they are some brilliant ones out there but it's just it's as you're saying it's all financial it's what can get it out there the easiest and like good or bad is one of the things I was looking into when I was doing revivals (laughs) there's so many like revivals because I was kind of classing if anyone's wondering I was kind of classing a revival as being there is a gap of five years four to five years from one film being made to another that they tried to reboot it or uh, and revive the franchise so that's kind of what I was looking at there are so many I was like there are there's very few revival films that actually killed the franchise but there's definitely a divide of films that were brilliant like for the franchise and then there were like films that were absolutely shite but still (laughs) made enough money to get the like um it's not a revival but say Saw 2 made a load of money and that was a god-awful film in comparison to Saw 1 Mm -hmm. and then it went down the so much more gorier version that's why I have such hope and I I don't think I've watched past Saw 3 I just haven't I won't I don't like torture porn but the spiral one that Chris Rock has directed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have such hopes for that because he's actually a massive fan of the Saw franchise. And he was like, oh, do you know what? I do it just a little bit different and I do X, Y, and Z. And he's kind of bringing it back almost more psychologically a la Saw, the first film. Yeah. Where it's more character driven. And so that's like... And also Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson in a film together. I, I'm like being serious. Like I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I can't I heard wait some to talk about Saw where they were talking about this whole kind of concept of torture porn and stuff. And they were like, well, if you actually go to the bones of Saw, like the first film, it, the story behind it mm-hmm. is actually quite good. There is a, a, a full story there. Yeah. And then it kind of goes into the whole thing of it's it's just killing for the sake of gore and stuff like that's, that I'll never forget the time when I realized I was never going to watch another Saw film and I think I mentioned it in an earlier episode and it was the scene in Saw 3 where a man is basically being drowned in a vat of pigs that are dead pigs that are being blended up but they're like gone off they're not gone off but they're decayed yeah. so they're rotten and so he is being like he's in the bottom of a vat and they're being blended and sent into him and I've only recently realized as a little personal thing, I get migraines. I just thought I'd get headaches. And a lot of the time, if I was going to the cinema, I might have a headache. And sometimes that can make me feel sick. And that literally, it also, if I didn't feel well in that cinema and I didn't have a good time, I'm put off. Oh yeah, you you associate it with that then. Yeah, and I I remember thinking, I think I must've had a headache. I was watching the film and as the pigs were being like I actually felt physically sick like as if I could smell it and I remember just going nope no what why am I doing it why am I why am I making myself see this film yes yeah and that's when I went I can't do it anymore like I it's the because it's yeah there's the build-up of anticipation before they get killed and the way that you know it's going to be so bad it's kind of like I stopped watching the Final Destination films because you just know like especially what was the Final Destination 4 where the girl gets the laser eye thing and oh it just, yeah oh I was actually I was in a pub with my parents and that was on in the background and I turned and I see that happen. I'm like oh this must be a Final Destination film and I just saw like the laser going up over her head like making a board game or a jigsaw of her face I was like no no <laughs> back to I'm the like, point give it to me I can't give it to me <laughs> yeah yeah oh I, I have anyone mess with my head instead of mess with my stomach any day yeah but yeah with that note I'm going to dive into as I was saying I kind of split up my revival films into it's just a quick mention I'm not going to go into too much detail of I'm dividing them up into decent revival films I'm going to give a quick shout out to um and then shite revival films and nice. I've one or two that um I have well actually I mentioned one already so two more that I have high hopes for in the future so um let's start out good the decent films that uh, helped revive a film franchise. Now, I'm not going into too much detail because I've spoken about these already. Yeah. But like you have Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Francis Ford Coppola in 1992. It, it's not a franchise, but it brought a revival of Dracula films. Yes. I don't think you have mentioned that film before though, Emer. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a quiet one for me. It's, yeah. I like to keep it personal. I don't really talk <laughs> about it too much. Um, and another one that's very not so spoken about, Scream. Now, you could say Scream has had two revivals. Uh, it had Scream 4 in 2011, mm-hmm. which, because the last one is, what, God, 
2003 was that when Scream 3 was out 2002 2003 maybe or something like that but early 2000s and that one brought life back into it and then sadly Wes Craven passed away so it looked like as if that was going to be the end of it but now you've got Scream 5 coming out in January 2022 and it's got like the original trio the main guys yes so it's again a lot of hope into that because screen films are the only like slasher I that and Halloween I'll happily sit down and watch them all yeah Um, and speaking of Halloween we had the 2018 Halloween film which then sparked out the trilogy because you had John Carpenter producing and we had um David Gordon Green wrote uh directed it and I think I can't remember the name but he's a comedic um writer and actor and he did like they were directing and writing it and that was brilliant because like Jordan Peele has truly opened my eyes to comedy writers doing horror yeah um so and then they were meant to get Halloween killed in this year 2021 and then the third I don't know I can't remember what it's called Halloween ends maybe Halloween I think it's Halloween ends yeah all right I'm joking I'm pretty sure it is let me check heard a rumor that they're possibly going to do another trilogy after this. I was like, no. No, but that makes sense. You can never kill them. So to be honest, like all of, all of horror is just constant revival. Like if you think about it. But that's what kills me about slasher films is that the killers never die. And there's always crazy ways that they can come back or like, what was it one time Jason was brought back by like a bolt of lightning while someone's trying to dig up his body or some shite like that. Beautiful. I'm just kind of like, it, it the more you remake if like keep a franchise going yeah. it's just going to get more and more um like it, like I, yeah but sure they even take the piss out of that in scream 4 itself where they have yeah. stop and it's like stop in space and it's brilliant and it really pokes fun at itself for doing its own thing that's what i love own. about scream <laughs> scream is so self-aware throughout yeah. every one of its versions and yeah. It, I, I mean, to have the stab film in Scream 2 means that it's just, oh, like it had the rules in Scream 1, it had the meta version of it in Scream 2. Oh, it was it yeah. was brilliant. Scream 3 was sadly not so great because the original writer had left and you can kind of tell that difference with the who the killer was by the third film. Like it was her secret brother. Yeah, that it was, was a bit gas. That was jumping the shark for me. That was just no um <laughs> just no just no and then you have dawn of the dead in 2004 that kind of sparked back the whole zombie franchise then and then some weren't so great but dawn of the dead was brilliant mm-hmm. um and most recently we also have the invisible man um from okay. 2019 and that was a smart way because i know technically they this whole dark universe thing hasn't started since the mummy with tom cruise it started way back in 2014 with dracula untold but that flopped then the mummy flopped yeah it's about to say mummy flopped yeah so invisible man because they're not see what happened was at the end of dracula untold it comes into modern age and then you have with the mummy that was all set in modern age so i could see where they were all trying to and then they were like at the very end of the mummy, I didn't watch it, but they had like all these, like a Marvel-esque, this 
creatures here, that creature's there, like as if tying them all up for the future films. And it just doesn't work mm -hmm. because you need to give them their own films to by themselves. So that's what works so well with Invisible Man. It was like a standalone film. Yeah. Um, but they are saying that that could still be tied in with the franchise. But I, I think they should just reboot their films, but as standalone, don't try and tie them together and just leave them be. Yeah. Um, and then just one of the last ones I want to discuss about decent revival films was The Nightmare on Elm Street. You have Dream Warriors in 1987 because the second Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, that flopped because mm -hmm. they wrote that straight away and they made it within a year. And it was like, oh, wow, the first one worked out so well. Let's make a second one. Yeah. And then, yeah, it what was it? Three and four, I think, were really bad. So then you had Dream Warriors and either Dream... I'm not up with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise I've not really watched a lot of them but I know Dream Warriors was amazing and um, then you had New Nightmare which mm -hmm. kind of like in screen it poked fun at itself yeah and it was just such a great concept that it was all the like you had Wes Craven was in it playing himself and it, that was very aware that was a great film um, and that leads me on to shite films um, that either kill the franchise or they were still shy, but made enough money that it happened. And speaking of Nightmare Elm Street, you had the revival of it in 2010, which is a, more of a remake yeah. of the first film. And it was so bad. Beautiful. I saw that in the cinema and I, I was, But we know, we know that it, if you don't like a horror movie, generally I'll be like, it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, like they kind of jumped into, um, instead of Freddy just being a child killer, he was a pedophile he and a was. child killer. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just that our children are going missing and he's killed them. It was, no, 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 no. He's messing them up and then he might kill them. Mm -hmm. Or I don't think he killed them in that in that revival. He was just basically a pedophile and then they killed him. Oh, no, him. he did. He did kill Oh, he was a killer. Yeah. See, I forget so much of that film already. Yeah. Um, And then there was... The Exorcist franchise, which so many people might not even know that there were more than one Exorcist film. Yeah. You had the, you had the Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which um, was it Linda Blair? Linda yeah, Linda Blair. Blair. Yeah. So she came back to that one and no one else did. And I think William Friedkin might have directed that one as well, but, or might not have, but it was awful, awful. Um, and then you had um, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book directed the third film um that has a massive cult following the yeah third. yeah you have father caresses in it he's not dead and then it's about he's in an asylum and then they tacked on that he gets possessed it was actually a post-production thing it was just so that they could say oh well, so far this film isn't about an exorcism so we need to get someone possessed for it and then you had much later on you had two prequels exorcist what was it the beginning and exorcist I actually Dominion. have the full box set here. Um, I got it there a while ago. Now I haven't gone through them, but I do. yeah, I have the full yeah. box set of all of them. And they did the two prequels where it was about Father Marin and how on his out in like, I know the first film, he's out in Iraq, and uh, like as in in the first Exorcist. Yeah. And that's how he is getting, you know, he discovers about the ghost that, it, uh, not the ghost, the demon that possessed <laughs> yeah it's not about demons it's about hey. um but yeah but the two prequel films i watched one of them i think i watched exorcist the beginning not dominion but yeah just not great 
really not great. They, um, it's like as if it's just a possession film, but they call it The Exorcism or The Exorcist. Just to... <laughs> You're just like, I don't even like it that much. I'm not even going to bother with the real name. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> It was just this nice little movie about a ghost and like, yeah. you know, an exorcism and ghosts can possess people. <laughs> I've seen enough films where ghosts possess people. It happens. Um, ghost. And one that, uh, oh yeah, so that kind of, after those two prequels bombed, they decided to not touch the exorcism, but there is talk of a remake. Yeah. And that's okay okay maybe but you see that's it again they're like let's just redo the first one i'm like but the first one is amazing i don't and i fear i'd love for them to do it and i don't know how they could do it in such a way that would be different or whatever i just i feel like if it's not necessary I think they definitely could. I think they 100% could make it different in the sense that they would actually bring like jump scares and a little bit more kind of paranormal activity scares to it. We are building up in this tension yeah, could, and stuff like that. Before the priests come, you could do more into. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Like where you. It's something actually I was going to talk about as well with the movies that I was looking at, where you have these movies that were like in the 70s and stuff like this, which are terrifying in their own right but to be honest I could sit through them and you know more modern horror terrifies me yeah they're limited by time yeah they're limited by the time that they were made and what they Mm -hmm. could do and jump scares is a very much so modern thing yeah and it it, it, a lot of people think it's this cheap kind of form of horror but like raising my hand yeah yeah no 100% and it was something that I touched on with the director of the the remake of Black Christmas he was like Mm -hmm. oh it was this real cheap kind of thing to do but to me I'm kind of like if I'm just sitting there kind of going all right yeah 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 I'm like okay yeah good movie wasn't scared like I get that. And I am actually, I'm not opposed to jump scares. If you use them sparingly and, you know, like maybe have three, max four jump scares in a film because you mm-hmm. want, I want the tension to be ramped up and I understand that they can help build yeah. up the tension. But um, if you use too many jump scares, you're, you're kind of almost used to it. And by the time you hit a climax, the climax might not scare you because As you've much. been scared so often throughout the film. Yeah. Um. Quickly, I'm just going to finish off the shite ones you had. Uh, 2009, they did a new Friday the 13th film. Um, and it was kind of like bringing it back to the start. Or, well, no, I suppose it was a different premise where it was he wanted to find his sister after they got killed or a slew of them had gotten killed yes. by Jason. It's I actually like, oh. just recently watched that. Yeah. Now, it's not like terrible, but I have to say the characters are so there. That's just so typical of just getting characters that you actually want to die and you're like come on when are these guys gonna die they're so obnoxious it reminded me a lot of house of wax i was kind of mm. like it's almost like they could kind of took like a scene from house of wax and was like if we just turn that car to blue we we could say this is a different film <laughs> mm, mm, yeah yeah and um, slightly changed that character's hair color it's yeah film. yeah and that made now I think it was like it was a budget of 19 million made like 97 million so it made a humongous profit mm-hmm. but was so critically panned I don't think like there hasn't been another Friday the 13th since 
That's yeah. 11 years. Um, and finally, I just wanted to mention about the Child's Play franchise, yeah. which again kind of had two um, revivals. You had uh, Bride of Chucky had come out in 1998. Now, it wasn't much of a gap. I think the last film was done in like 95. So it was only three years since. But still kind of, it took it down another avenue. It went into a parody version from being like, okay, I know it's hard to take it seriously where it's the doll yeah. is the best and, and is like the two foot thing is hacking and slashing at people. Um, it was always a little bit of humor in the first It one. was, mm. yeah. Um, and so it's actually one of the films I'm going to be discussing is Bride of Chucky because I just love Jennifer Tilly's character of Tiffany. To me, Tiffany makes, now I know Seed of Chucky was horrific awful the son's character was so annoying even but, the um, son's doll is just weird oh it looks like it was jaundice and anemic all at the same yeah. time on a lot um, of drugs and uh, and born a drug addict one of those yeah. ones where yeah um just poor no it was awful yeah. um but anyway but it was bride of chucky is one that i'm going to be discussing because i just thought it's, it's such a great film um but yeah and then you had in 2019 the remake of child's play the original where they tried to make it in the modern era it's a modern doll but you're like one thing in 2019 no kid because that kid is about what 10 or 11 um or something like that but he's he's not like andy in the first film was like a child like would have still been in like i know he would have been maybe seven or eight so maybe more believable that a child would get a doll but like a child now getting a doll in our modern age he'd be like i want a playstation i don't want a doll um i don't care if i don't have friends getting me a doll is not going to help me but a playstation is going to help me loads (laughs) um yeah and and the fact that it was just a doll that was set to evil just reminded me of one of the treehouse of terror episodes in the simpsons where crusty bark got a crusty the clown doll that was set it was a switch on his back good and evil (laughs) And if you just put it to good, he was so much better. So just that that's what that choice play film is yeah. for me. He's just a doll. He's set to evil. He's not possessed. He's just, his evil switch was left on. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so uh, after that, I said it was brief and it was totally not. But when is that <laughs> different on this show? Uh, it would be brief if I wasn't interjecting the whole time going oh no what do you think about this yeah but like everyone knows that we like the chats and it would be a bit dull I think if one of us was just rambling without someone going I have a thought (laughs) hello didn't expect this so without further ado I am going to talk about the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Uh, massacre film which is a bit of a cheat for me I know I said I was going to do revivals it is also a remake of the first film but with slightly different changes I know as I was I was literally just giving out about how they do this cheater cheater pumpkin eater pumpkin um not all the cakes I've had this week has been everything bar pumpkin um (laughs) had a fat ass birthday I'm saying for People, you haven't lived until you've had a lamb donor pizza. Oh my God, I mean, that actually looked unbelievable. Ate that pizza, had a few beers and watched Big Trouble in Little China and I was made. Beautiful. All right, 
So now, after that brief little uh, discussion about my birthday, I will go back into now what we're actually <laughs> meant to be talking about. Um, so I'm talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003. And I have to say, accidentally, when I was trying to think up of this film, uh, I was mixing it up with the 2006 film, which I think was a prequel, meant to be a prequel to like the original one and all that. It's how Leatherface. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember actually I saw that in the cinema. So I was trying to think 2003, we would have still been in secondary school. So I couldn't yes. remember if I'd actually seen that in the cinema. Now I might have because I know I've seen it. Um, but anyway, so like this film, it revived the franchise for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The last film before this was in 1995. And it's the only other one I remember of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's the hilarious one with Matthew McConaughey oh, and yeah. Renee Zellweger. Um, it's the what was it called the next generation oh and I always I always thought that that was the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre it's like the fifth film or, or the you know it's it's a long way into it because like 1995 from 1974 I should have caught like Matthew McConaughey is not going to be in a film in the 80s or yeah, the yeah. 70s it just didn't compute in my head I did I didn't cop it but so they they had made some subtle changes in this film but they still gave it the same gritty 70s look um, like it, it, it started this time it starts out with a documentary uh, style about what had gone down in the house after what, what we're about to watch in the film um, they had changed the name of the family it's not the Sawyer family it's the Hewish family and nothing in the beginning gives away the fact once you're with the family and you're in the house like nothing gives them away as being cannibals mm-hmm. whereas in, like the Sawyer house in the first film it was well easy to see that they were cannibals yeah and it was totally taken on the ed gein vibe because that's what when they say that the texas chainsaw massacre was based on a true story it's not and the part that they did take from it was of ed gein and they took on elements of like he wore people's skin but he never ate them um, and he used their bones for furniture and skin for like lampshades and so when in the film the original film the 1974 film you can see a lot of that used in the house whereas in this house there's no decorations like that there's nothing like no big dead giveaways that you're in a dangerous house so also there was just a few things about it uh about the modern film it it was so good it was shot as well as the first one was and that they actually had the same cinematographer from the first film came back for this film so that's why it's kind of like it's shot in a similar way but it is actually i have to say it's shot very well like they put in the effort for it um and they also like the characters i feel in this they whereas in the first film they didn't do that much with the characters they gave a lot of backstory so you're invested and i even mean in the hewish family you knew enough about the characters where you were invested in a lot of the characters like yeah when someone died you were like oh no it's it's it was very sad it was you wanted you know how it's gonna go if you know anything about these films you just you know how it's gonna go but you still are like oh no maybe one or two might survive and then they don't but um and another thing was the hitchhiker at the start in the original film was a part of the family whereas this it's actually a victim of the family and when they're going to go give her help because she's absolutely distraught and uh, she keeps saying, oh, no, you're driving the wrong way. You're going the wrong way because they're heading back in the direction where she came from, like mm. back to the Hewitt house. So she grabs a gun and shoots herself in the head and kills herself. Oh. And so that's like in this film, they were all the, the kids were all 
coming to go to a Leonard Skinner's concert and they were coming up from Mexico and then they obviously pick her up and then after she shoots herself they're like well we need to find the nearest town and get help and so that's when they drive into the town and they're like oh the sheriff's back home and so that's the sheriff is a part of the Hewitt family of course we don't know that now and we don't know anything about the family and like the family even let them in and call for help um and then that's that they're in the house now and then yeah. obviously the killings will start happening and it falls a lot of um the original film and i have to say sheriff hoyt is played by or lee emmy uh who is in a lot of like military films mm-hmm. uh, and he is just like his lines in the film are actually quite funny but also my god that man can tear turn on like scary on a dime yeah and he was oh god he was just so terrifying how he's messing with them because they don't know he's a part of the like they don't know that there's anything wrong yet yeah and some of their friends are just going missing but they just think oh well you know we'll find them they haven't gone far whereas Leatherface has already started to pick off people and the first film he gets the girl remember she's running through the house he grabs her and yeah. then just puts her on the hook so he grabs one of the male characters and puts him on the hook but because this is the modern film and as we're saying like they now can we're a bit more used to it so we can see a lot more and um, so like you see Leatherface has prepped up the whole hook thing and he pops the guy onto it and it's done slower in more detail and also that's the first film uh, where Leatherface takes one of the main characters face off and it's this guy it's uh one of the yeah the first character to get killed he takes his face off and like you see him wearing it later on in the film when Erin the final girl is running through and I don't know I can't remember if it's like a she recognized him but then she's like oh my god (laughs) that's one of my friends that's his face but um yeah so it's also you like you get to see Leatherface's original like actual face not original face but pre- masks whereas like in the original ones I think he wore a male face during the daytime and a female face like to be like the mother of the family he cooks the dinner he sits all down but like this one you see he was disfigured that's why he's wearing the mask yeah um yeah and and also he's he's not opposed to taking a fresh face for a mask if he wants to um we all do it yeah I mean if I could just have a different face for one day I mean you know what would you do um so like they also managed to make this film like a lot more realistic and gritty like in the sense of as I was saying with the prep that you're seeing and the fact that everything was done a lot slower and you can see the kills happening it just it, oh, it is absolutely it's a very good film now there are some negatives to it that people are like oh I don't like remakes such as myself yes. but I have to say I liked it. And after this film, they did prequels to it. I think they actually kind of did two prequels. Like they kind of like lost the run of themselves. But the 2003 and 2006 one were quite good. Um, Like it it still ends in the same way um, where you've got the final girl escape. Now I have to say there's there are some really tense uh, chase scenes where she's hiding um, and Leatherface is, is slowly catching up to her like there's there's out in the woods and then they're in like one of the the slaughterhouse basically um and it you begin to think like could this film end in a way where there is no final girl yeah yeah um 
but I have to say uh, it was a very good film and I'd, I'd actually would recommend it for someone who I'm not totally against remakes but like I have to say if it's done well yeah if it's not like a shot for shot remake or a remake where they just change like one thing about it they made enough changes in this for it to be good and even though it's 2003 they used a lot of practical effects they rarely used cgi even though it was in 2003 and that's another thing i really like about it i don't like over reliance on cgi because it like it's not something that's ever going to age well yeah like, i'm sure the cgi we have right now we think is top-notch but give that 20 years and it won't look so good exactly, It'll be like, yeah. it's like the scorpion king with the rock and that <laughs> I think that was actually pretty bad for its time as well. Like it's, it's all about how much money they're willing to put into it. Um, yeah, I have to say, um, I, I really liked it. Yeah, for someone who doesn't really like um, remakes, I have to say, like I said, I'm, I'm always happy to be proven wrong. Yeah. I'd love, um, yeah, like with remakes, I love, I like it when I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's, it's separate enough it's good enough it's taken it kind of like it is still the same but bones of the idea but it's just yeah no it's done pretty well and I think was it the guy who played Leatherface like had to up his weight he was a really big guy like I think he was Mm. well over six foot and he had to eat like white bread and skillet which I'm not going to look up what that is um I think it's probably like like a fatty thing from America so he could like gain up over to be over 200 pounds to play Leatherface I really like white bread <laughs> but like I'd say like it the budget was a lot better for this like if you think about it, in the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre like they couldn't they didn't have a wardrobe change they didn't have a change of clothing yeah so and they also did it during a heat wave and I remember the guy who played Leatherface he ate his lunches alone because of the clothes he was wearing they were like no it needs to remain like manky looking so he couldn't wash his clothes like he washed himself but he couldn't wash his clothes and you're sweating because you're in like a a mask and you're running around in this heat and yeah that's always like I think I saw a picture somewhere online where it's like no it's just someone took a picture but he looks so solitary he's eating his lunch and you're like oh leather face (laughs) poor smelly leather face (laughs) yeah poor smelly leather face uh yeah so that was um that was uh the modern remake and revival, like it did, you had, geez, a whole host of films run after that. Oh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like kind of, geez, I think they've had five films now, or at least five, including that one, since that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, my first, um, so I am looking at remakes. So I am like just a full on pure remake. So um, I said I wouldn't put you through that too much. <laughs> Thank you. Even though that's exactly what I did on my first film, I watched your remake. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my the one that it's obviously there's loads of remakes. There's like it's you know it's one thing that's done uh, through Hollywood and like I'd say constantly things are being reinvented yeah. the whole time. So you have like the Omen, uh, Last House on the Left, Prom Night, Fright Night, loads. Like there's the end. Uh, the like list is endless but the two that I'm going to look at are Amadeville Her and Carrie mm. so the first get some one, Ryan Reynolds into you oh my god like oh yeah you gas. can chop wood all day it's insane yeah so actually I am looking at Amadeville Her first so just for anybody who um who doesn't know the backstory for Amadeville Her mm-hmm. 
this is based on a well the film is based on a book the book is based on a true story so in November 1974 uh, the DeFeo murders happened mm-hmm. so um, Ronald Jr. was uh, the son in the family and he went room to room and execution style shot his brothers sisters and parents very sad very sad really really sad like and that's the thing that it needs to one thing that I was looking at they were like there's there's often like a question over the haunting that happened afterwards but there is no question that this whole family was massacred in their house and it's a really sad thing that happened. So there was all these like strange things that people were kind of questioning, like why did nobody else get up out of their bed? Yes, how did they um, not hear the shots? How did they not hear the shots? Do you know, it, like how did nobody else in the neighborhood hear the gunshots? There was only the dog barking, nobody heard anything. And they've always said that there was no silencer. So Ronald Jr. Apparently, the the father um, was quite militant and um, like not a nice guy. And yeah, they tried uh, to say he was a hitman, didn't they? For like the mafia. Ronald Jr. first came out and said that um, he basically after the murders he went to work, um, mm. and he worked for his dad, and um, he got dressed, went to work, came back, and then he reported the murder. So he said that he came come back and found his family dead. Now, he initially said that it was the mafia who killed him, mm. that there were mafia ties there. And then after some interrogation, he was like, eh, yeah, okay, maybe. You got me. You got me. But apparently the home life wasn't great and uh, he had like substance abuse with alcohol and um and drugs which is no excuse it doesn't excuse it but it's just more of a back on it um and then from the mafia connection he went on to the he heard voices and the voices told him to do this and the defense went on to get a psychologist in to look at him and they kind of debunked this they were saying that no he didn't have any disorder that would lead to him hearing voices um and that he did have a personality disorder and the thing that was wrong with him was that actually genuinely he didn't see any issue with killing his parents and his family so that was the thing that was like dysfunctional in his personality it wasn't that he had any illness where he was actually hearing voices that were telling him to do this. Um, And there is a theory as well that there was a second person involved, but they've never found that person, which would kind of make the whole, if they were killing in one room, the next room, you know, was at the same time simultaneously. And um, thankfully he got um, six life term and he's still, uh, still in jail. Um, so terribly sad, like really, really sad. Um, so a little bit over a year later, the Lutz family uh, came and they bought the house um, for $80,000. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolute steal. Um, so got this house and um, it was obviously a steal because it was like known big as murder a big murder house. Big murder house, yeah. yeah big murder house, <laughs> yeah. So a few things that they had said was um, that 
George, the father, George Lutz, so his personality changed quite quickly when they went into the house. They were this newly married couple. Uh, Kathy had children from a previous relationship and um, George was this really nice guy. And then they moved into this house and he just changed completely. Um, he would wake up at a quarter past three every morning and it turned out that that was when the uh, DeFeos were murdered. So they kind of linked this. There was a lot of flies in the house Um anyone who came over the priest who tried to come over to bless the house had a lot of illnesses apparently Kathy would age massively um, yeah in front of people's eyes so her mother says that she did see this and she would like age to like 90 years old and look totally different and this is That's one of the things so unfair That's I know insane. yeah and then you aged a lot Don't and then you he aged loads yeah. but then she'd yeah. go back and it would be fine um, and then you the little girl put on some skin cream, you know, yeah, like you know, vitalize that face. All of She's all an like, ad, walk an ad for Nivea, L'Oreal. You're worth yeah. it. Sort it. Um, so the little girl started to say that she could. She's made a new friend, um, and the friend was actually a pig. Named yeah. Judy, um, which and they say that there were hooves coming up to the house and everything. So it's all it's all a bit. Um, it's all a bit crazy. Um, yeah. They left the house one night, um, never to return. They, and that is uh, true. They never got the hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. They never went back. And it, like George uh, Lutz has said, like we never intended to never go back after mm-hmm. that day. Like, but it was all auctioned off. Um, so the the writer of the book, um, Jay Anson, he said that. Um, after speaking to the priest who was actually part of the um part of the whole paranormal yeah because they were a very religious thing. family really religious and it was in a time that it was the 19 kind of 70s like mm-hmm. religion was huge um and he said that because it was corroboration this was actually happening to somebody this wasn't an exorcist or an omen from there, I started to create the book. So it was on the stories of the priest where he kind of went, right, okay, I believe this priest 100%, so I'm going to okay. go with it. So he wrote the book in 1977. It all happened really quickly. So there, there was the DeFeo murders in 74. Then just over a year later, the Lutz moved in. Then 77, the book is published. Wow, yeah. Similarities um, through, so kind of, comparisons made of what was happening economically within America at the time and what was happening to George Lutz so if you look at it like there's the paranormal kind of aspect of it but also there was a downturn in their business the IRS was actually looking into the family and to the company as well so there was a lot of kind of really stressful shit starting and Mm -hmm. going on for the family and during this economic time that was happening for a lot of families in America as well so they said that there was this huge, like, um, people could really relate to this story um, on the level of not the haunting. <laughs> so yeah. 1979, we get uh, the Amityville Horror movie. So like Real quick. five yeah. years, like between these murders, murders. the yeah. haunting, the book, 
and the film. So the film comes out and it's a newlywed couple moves into a large mansion mansion on the Long Island coast and discovers that it is haunted. Um, unfortunately for them, anyone who tries to exercise the house meets with devastation. So you have uh, Kathy Lutz is played by Margot Kidder, who actually plays Barb in Black Christmas. So I couldn't mm-hmm. not mention that. Um, but yeah, in this movie, it, this one actually keeps to the book a little bit more. So you are starting now both the 2005 and the 1979 do take a few kind of like artistic. They take some liberties. Yeah, liberties. Exactly. But the 1979 one seems to stay closer to the closer to the book. Um, then you have the 2005 one, which stars um, Ryan Reynolds and Chloe Grace Moraz. And I'm mentioning her because she's coming into her, the next movie that I'm going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So you have yes, the two. Yes, yeah, she is. Yes, yeah, she is. Um, you have George Lutz, um, where they move in. He's a really nice person. He's taken on like this whole thing of like he's taken on a wife and children heaven forbid like whatever especially like based in the 70s well in the 70s yeah 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 so you have them they move into the house straight away quite quickly his temperament changes and it changes from this like really loving dad um to just a bit of a dick Mm mm-hmm and the main difference between that I saw from the 1979 one and 2005 one was when the when they get out of the house to go to in the 1979 one it's to her brother's wedding in the 2005 one it's just to a Italian restaurant um but they get out of the house and 79 one George is still a dick while out of the house but Ryan Reynolds is actually really really nice when they're out of the house and he's like oh I feel so much better it's like there's a bit of a weight lifted off me and you're kind of like so you go right okay it is the house it's the house that's controlling his mood and it's the house that's making him kind of go a bit doolally he's not just an absolute prick so I don't know if that was a conscious thing (laughs) for the 79 one that he was supposed to be possessed the whole time or what but you do have these parts where a lot more people are having like visceral reactions to the house in the 79 you have the the priest goes he tries to um bless the house and he has to leave straight away and then um Kathy Lutz's like cousin comes and she's a nun and she has to leave straight away and she like gets violently ill and then the business partner of George comes and his partner is like this real intuitive kind of hippie and she's like I'm going nowhere near the house and then actually in the end end up going into the house and breaking (laughs) down the wall and like gets possessed and is like there's things here and it's all a bit mad um so you don't have that kind of onslaught of extra characters in the 2005 remake I would say the main extra character in the 2005 remake is um Ryan Reynolds abs he's just topless during the entire movie and I watched and I guess that that was written in his contract (laughs) you're contractually obliged to spend seven just to take your top off all of the time um but no I actually I watched this with Warren and he was like is he taking his top off again? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like he is. 
Um, and we ended up having this mad conversation. I actually Googled, is Ryan Reynolds always ripped? Because I was like, I can't. <laughs> not really. Not when he did his earlier films, like the Van Wilder ones. But he it's mad. Really. Even to, yeah. but it's funny, actually, one of the threads I found was on a bodybuilder's website. And it was mm. like, has anyone seen Ryan Reynolds in Amityville Horror? What is he doing compared to his Van Wilder days? And I was yeah. like, it's crazy to think that. And then Warren was like, I think he's just a bit of a Marky Mark, like a Mark Wahlberg, who's just mm-hmm. constantly ripped as well. Um, but it was quite funny to see that um, there was no reason, there was no rhyme or reason for him to be topless yeah. in this movie, but he was for, for yeah. quite a lot of it. So, yeah, you have the whole uh, possession and the the um, catch him, kill him. So he wants to, the, the house wants him to kill. Um, in it's, it's on an Indian burial ground. Um, yeah. So it gets very, um, yeah, it's this possession of um, that you're on this burial ground, you're being possessed and you have to leave. And um, they do, they leave. They leave in the middle of the night, um, like the true story, and they never come back. Now, the house has been lived in since Mm. quite a lot, and there's never been any more reports. The Lutz have kind of said, the Lutz have always said it's true, like, yeah. I think there is a few things that people will come out and be like, yeah, it's absolutely After a while, you think they'd be like, yeah, no, sorry, that was. We just wanted money. But, like, why would you? They couldn't have afforded to leave that house with nothing. So That's the thing. Yeah, all of them was kind of tied up in it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and it, actually it was. Um, so the, the original 1979 one, um, talking 8.4 million now I know that like kind of comparing what they talk is you kind of can't because like cinema's a different oh you'd, you'd have to calculate for yeah. inflation yeah. yeah which I haven't done so if you want to do, <laughs> if you want to take down the numbers calculate it and come Just back for to yourself us. for the lols yeah, yeah. So you have 84.4 million US dollars for the 1979 and it got a rating of 27% on Rotten Tomatoes because... Um, harsh. Harsh, but actually, to be fair, when I was watching it again, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. And it goes back to the whole thing of it just... There weren't that many scares in it. There weren't that many jumps in it at all. In fact, you can the the two thousand five one takes a lot more liberties with it to give you those jump scares. So I yeah. was a lot more kind of. It's a very slow paced film with that one, whereas like yeah. ooh, and even in that, it's not a particularly scary movie. And it's I'm a slasher girl. I love slashers, um. So this just wasn't as terrifying for me as other ones like if you think about it that's a horror film where no one dies no one dies yeah yeah yeah. that's it actually quite a rarity it's very strange apart from the poor dog oh oh, yeah that was the worst death of them all well no human deaths but we're like we're disappointed there was no human death (laughs) well it starts with well a massive murder but yeah yeah but that's reference yeah Yeah. exactly but the 2005 one took in 108 million and is has got 23 percent on rotten tomatoes now out of the two of them i would go with the 2005 um and nothing to do with 
because actually I find it quite hard to watch with him in it because I'm mm-hmm. such a big fan of uh, Just Friends. So any mm-hmm. noise he makes, I just hear him in a comedic role. I, I can't really yeah. pass him. Been, this would have been one of his first films when he tried to break away from being stereotyped in it because he's such a yeah. funny guy that he like is. but with the when he started out with the Van Wilder films he really took on the role as being like a kind of like a college party boy and then he got into like the rom-coms of Just Friends and yeah. oh there's a few other films here and I have to say like I watched none of them I had no time for them um and it was kind of like in his later films, more action films. That's when I first started seeing him in things. One film I'd say that is unbelievable is Just Friends. It's I don't hilarious. Think no, I'm trying to think. I you should, think you should I actually like watch Paris, it. Yeah. It's brilliant. And there's a part in it where it starts off and he's like, it, the whole movie is he's this, young like overweight guy who's mm. best friends with the um the popular girl but it opens up with a scene of him and he has a fat suit on and he's just looking in the mirror singing boys to men i swear and it's like yeah. i swear and that's all i could see for all of them <laughs> so like there was a part of me that's kind of going actually it wasn't going to scare you because all you could think of was this um but it's yeah if you were going to watch any of them I I probably would go with the 2005 mm-hmm. and as well the house was up for sale in 2020 again Ooh, they actually had to change the address like the, yeah yeah so uh, but, the yeah, family but- after the Lutzes they requested a, a change of address they just had every day tourist groups they were mm-hmm. doing tours and you're like a family lives here or just people live here you know just back off and you could kind of understand if somebody had bought it because it was this macabre thing mm-hmm. it would be fucked if somebody did do that yeah but, but uh, if you do that you buy it and you turn it into like a tour house exactly do you like, know but like if you were that way inclined but when you yes. buy for a house you're like there are people on the front garden again someone's trying to take a bit at the front of the house like it's it's, yeah, no, it's not it's worth crazy. It. So it was they bought it for eighty thousand, um, mm-hmm. and in two thousand and twenty, so last year in June, I think it was like eight hundred and fifty thousand. So just yeah. over ten and a half times more, but still a lot less than you would be paying for that house. Yes, because like it's in upstate New York, like it's near a lake. It's a huge house with a lot of huge. land yeah you'd yeah. be looking at 1.5 million if there if it wasn't a murder house exactly exactly so if you're looking I couldn't find whether or not it'd been sold but no there you go so that was my first one my first remake and floating back to the revivals um as I said I was going to talk about Bride of Chucky which um I do love a horror comedy I it's just I think it's just my sense of humor I'll always go like prefer a horror comedy if I can but as you're saying like the child's play films were kind of funny where Chucky was always trying to get Andy to play hide the soul um (laughs) and it's also the fact that a thief he's been like in in the very first child's play film like Brad Dorf who I love stays as Chucky voice wise throughout 
well, obviously not in the in the modern film, in the 2019 film, but he played Chucky throughout until That's brilliant, Chucky. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, like he in the first film did a thing where it was just like he put his soul, he was being shot down by the police after being on the run. And he was wearing this necklace that was like a kind of like a talisman. I was like calling it when I was writing my notes. It's like, it's the MacGuffin. It's the thing that they're trying to find. Um, <laughs> but let's, so they need to, in order to be able to put his soul back in a human body, they need that necklace he was wearing when he died because he put his soul in Chucky and he has been in Chucky's body since the 80s. And so at the end of, God, yeah, at the end of Child's Play 3, Chucky is basically like all but exploded. And um, at the start of uh, Bride of Chucky, it's, it's great. You're going into like a police evidence locker room yes. and you see like there's this crate and inside it there is Michael Myers mask, Freddy's glove. Um, oh, there's a few other things. And um, it's like like all of the slasher there's just such there's nods to slasher films throughout this film and I just I think it's really good like this film divided fans like people who were true fans of like the the three child play films were like oh this is so silly why are they why is he making all these jokes it's unnecessary and whereas I think no I just loved the the change that they went it kept it fresh in my eyes but um so anyway this cop he takes this black bag out and he puts it in his car and he's driving away and he's going to be selling it off to someone and you hear him talking to a woman on the phone and then he like takes a peek into what the bag is and then boom his throat's cut and then we see the wonderful amazing Jennifer Tilly coming out and she's got her like peroxide blonde hair which she only dyed for this film like to to make the look and uh, she's just fab in she is just and she's just so gorgeous and fab anyway yeah she's such an icon oh yeah uh so she takes the bag and then you see her going back into her like and then it does the opening scene of the credits and you see her stitching chucky back together as best she can with everything that's in the bag because you just see he's got his face is like almost imploded and so she's bringing him back up and that's how you get the new chucky look where he's all like stitched and half his eye socket's kind of gone and the hair's all kind of just stapled back in. And that's the look we had for Chucky for the next, I think, two films. Um, and then she is living in a trailer and she's with her boyfriend who comes to the door. Um, and he's like this. He looks like a young Marlon Manson. And apparently they had God. actually offered. Mar- yeah. And I mean, from his early days with the long hair. And yeah. he's got like this, this the character, I think his name is Darren. He's got like a lip piercing and um but apparently they did actually offer the role to marlon manson but he turned it down um, on his dream yeah could you imagine if they're like because he's done he's been in sons of anarchy now like he's he's done some acting but like back then you could be like ah go on brian give it a go um but uh so she brings it or he comes in and he's taught he shows her picture and it's like someone who's been killed and he's like i did this i killed and she's asking how does it go how'd you kill and you can see like she's really like turned on so it's like she only likes people who are killers. It kind of gives, like, you see what kind of a thing that she goes for with her men. Yeah, um, and it's not even a bad boy. It's like... <laughs> oh, murderer, yeah. So it turns out, as she's explaining, like, she... He said, in the end, like, she finds that he staged the photo. The person isn't dead. He's not a killer. She's really pissed off at him. And I think she then starts to explain her backstory. 
she was um would have been engaged to Charles Lee Ray who was the character at the start playing hide the soul who gets into Chucky so Charles Chucky that's yeah um so she and she's like oh we would have gotten married and she shows this ring with like it's big diamond and then she goes but he was killed and she goes and I've been trying to find the doll ever since how she knows he he passed his soul into a doll I don't know maybe she's like this little doll's killing people but the kills are really familiar um like I truly don't know it's just that like intuitive soulmate thing yeah and um and so she basically sets it up she ties up the boyfriend it looks like as if they're about to have sex but then she puts like the doll on his chest and then like in the exorcist the neck goes 180 and he start he rips out the guy's lip piercing which I was just like as someone who has their lip pierced I'm just like oh <laughs> yeah and then he smothers them and then it's all like oh I, I've been looking for you for years and love you so much and all and then turns out Chucky didn't really love Tiffany as much as she thought and he was never going to propose to her he was just getting her to hold that big diamond ring from someone who he had killed he thought the ring was worth some money so basically he was like here you hold it and then he got killed so he was never going to be hanging around and Tiffany does a lot of oh my mother said she like throughout that film and see the Chucky she does a lot of oh my mother used to say but it's always like it without going too much into her backstory you kind of get a feeling of how she was raised Mm -hmm. and wasn't I'd say 100% normal or all that kind of way you kind of think like her mother might have been a bit off too um but so she then after she she's so pissed off and heartbroken she's like I should have known you'd never change you don't love me so she puts Chucky in a crate and then like later on gets this bride doll uh which has black hair in it um which ironically as Jennifer Tilly has brown hair and dyed a peroxide blonde for the film but so anyway she puts this brown haired bride doll into with them you know like oh you want a bride here's right here's a doll for you um and then it also kind of flits between our other characters in this are a bunch of high school graduates um and it's they're going to prom and this girl is with like an uber gay guy and it's like I think her dad or someone who is her guardian is someone who works for the police force and it's really awkward like because it's the what late 90s the the homophobic jokes are like because he's yeah yeah, he knows exactly what flower he gave us the corsage and he's saying about how you can keep uh orchid lasting throughout the whole winter and it's you like the either dad slash well the guardian's like um okay it's really tense and awkward because he's like why are you with this guy but anyway and it's actually Catherine Heigl playing um I think yeah uh, playing the the female character, I want to say her name was Kate, and I, like I only just watched it, but I'm like, <laughs> I think it's Kate. I really do. But uh, yeah, God's sake, humor. Anyway, um, so they go off to prom, and it turns out she just th- she has this boyfriend who the guardian really hates. Mm. Um, he's not good for her. He doesn't like them being together. So she pretends she's going off to prom, but that's just with her friend and the guys in the car, and they're like, we're gonna get married. We're gonna elope. We're gonna get married. It's gonna be great. Um, and then there's another cop who like pulls them over later on. He's such an asshole. And he's like a really on purpose. You meant to hate him as a cop, but he's like getting them tested for drugs and trying to keep the couple apart because obviously the guardian dad, who's the cop was like saying to all cops around, if you see this car, stop them, make life hell for them, whatever. So it's kind of just proving that none of the older characters of this couple 
are on their side apart from their friend David um so that's why they're like we're gonna elope we're gonna get married and move away from them all um and then then it kind of like that it flips between Chucky and so it turns out on the trailer park where Tiffany's living the boyfriend lives so Chucky gets out of the cage at some stage and Tiffany's having a bath and she's actually watching Bride of Frankenstein oh, no very, way. yeah very foreshadowing so she's in the bathroom watching and it's the scene where she rejects Frankenstein or the the creation of Frankenstein uh like she rejects her her would-be husband and it's kind of at that scene that Chucky you just see him he's got the bride doll in one hand dragging it he's got a knife in the other but he ends up electrocuting her in the bathtub killing her but before you know anything happened he puts her soul into the doll and so then tiffany somehow gets her hand on peroxide dyes the color hair of the doll and all this so she makes it gives it the leather jacket over the wedding dress which was just badass (laughs) where she got a doll sized leather jacket i don't know um but we saw her stitching up Chucky. So obviously she's got some sewing skills. <laughs> she's got um, skills. Yeah. So she rings the boyfriend who lives on the um, lives on the trailer park. And is like, I need you to send us to a cemetery. And he's like, or I need you to send these two dolls to a cemetery. And he's like, well, why don't you just post them? Which you'd be thinking, that's actually a great idea. If they ever wanted to get around, why don't they not just post, post themselves? themselves. But, but obviously you just need some help from a human. But um, in the end, they somehow, I can't quite remember how, but they end up like there's this big van that the boyfriend has and they get the dolls in there. And it's just as the couple are going to elope and they're, they've got the friend there with them and they're, they're going to be traveling on a way to get, I think they want to go to Mexico or something like that after they get married. Uh, so Chucky kills the guardian. I don't know how he managed to get and stop the car, but basically... Uh, because they're like we need this couple to get us to the cemetery so we can go find Charles D. Ray's body get the necklace and put our souls they're going to put their souls into the couple's body and that's how they can then live their lives um so the dad or guardian or whatever he's about to stop them but they've got a nail gun and Chucky just oh no sorry he gets he set it up where there was like a nail bomb and it explodes in the guy's face and Chucky just looks at him and he goes you look really familiar. How do you look so familiar to me? It was just a nod to the Cenobite, to Pinhead, uh, which I just thought was, and apparently Brad Dorf, he um, ad-libbed that. Um, So that was just funny. So it kind of just goes on where they're, they then get married. uh, The couple get married. And then it's kind of between that, Chucky is killing, I think the other really annoying cop, like they kill him because they're like, they anyone who gets in the way of that couple going towards Mexico, because I think getting towards Mexico is you pass by the town where the cemetery is. So they're like, we need this couple to get places. But as they're doing all the murders, the couple are beginning to think, oh my God, well, I know I didn't kill that person. And they're tied in with us. So someone had to have killed them. So they start thinking that the other person did the murders. But ah. they, they still get married even though they think potentially the other person is a murderer. murderer. Yeah. So when they're in the honeymoon suite, as any couple would do after you just got married and you're in the honeymoon suite, they're watching the news and they're watching about the fact that the guardian had been killed. I think this is before the asshole cop gets killed, but basically they're just like, what is going on? And then there's this other couple who tried to get them into like a, a 
couple swap thing <laughs> in the hotel and they're like oh no this isn't us we're not into this but tiffany watches that couple and so they're in the middle of having sex but there's like a mirror on top of the bed yeah so she throws a champagne bottle up onto the mirror that just like it as all the shards just cut the couple apart and they're on a waterbed so it's kind of like it's it's like the scene in Nightmare on Elm Street when Johnny Depp's character dies and all the blood goes ever. There's just water and blood going all over the place. And it was so funny. But like Chucky is so proud of her for killing that he that <laughs> they end up having sex themselves. And there was like, it's really awkward. You only get to see it like in the shadows or. Yeah. But uh, T- Tiffany was like, oh, have you got a rubber? And he's like, baby have you seen me? I'm all rubber, which I thought, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It annoyed a lot of fans again, but I was like, no, I thought it was hilarious. But basically the couple then leave the honeymoon suite when they realize there's been another murder. And now they're like, in the end, they're, they start saying, I can't do this. I think you killed. And they're like, no, I think you're the killer. And so it's like tearing them apart. And then the friend who was with them, uh, he's like, I can't do this anymore. Stop the car. But as they're all fighting, that's when, um Tiffany and Chucky get a gun and they're like holding them up and it's just so funny to see these two dolls with guns holding the couple up so basically it's now gone from we're sneaking in your car to or no we're we're just pretending to be dolls or no we're alive we're alive and we're taking drive us yeah drive us to this cemetery now I know I'm, I'm skipping over a lot um but like there's a scene where the friend David he's like peace out he walks away but like gets absolutely splattered by um because they're on like a motorway uh or a highway and he gets splattered by like this articulated truck so you're like oh well there he goes but um so then whilst they're holding them hostage in the van and they're driving them towards the cemetery there's this really weird scene where tiffany cooks them dinner or something like that like a doll um but they're giving out about Chucky's giving out about how bad the food is. And then like the couple decide they're like, we need to pit them against each other so that they can fight and we can escape whilst they try to fight. Yes. So it's like uh, the guy is saying to Chucky, I should get her to wash the Delph. And he's like, oh, baby, will you do the dishes? And like Captain Heigl's character is like, oh, my God, you cooked that dinner and he wants you to wash the Delph. Like, what are you? You know, what are you to him? So Tiffany just starts like throwing all the plates at him and they have a huge fight. And then she's there saying to Catherine Heigl's character, she's like, um, oh, yeah, don't don't go for rubber. Nothing can replace like proper wood. <laughs> and um, so then they end up having this big fight. And then but whilst this is all happening and I think the couple. Yeah, they kind of start to take over. And they burn, they absolutely burn Tiffany. She's just like charcoal color. Her, half her hair is gone and the dress is all. Um, but they managed to have still arrived at the cemetery. So whilst this is all happening, Tiffany looks like as if she's out for the count. And Chucky is heading towards uh, the grave of Charles Lee Ray to get the necklace. He's still got his plan. And um, so they've tied up. Yeah, Chucky finally gets it, the necklace. And but the boyfriend because he also has Catherine Heigl. It's like, I've got her. And then the guy's like, well, I've got your darlings. I've got your wife. Because uh, mm. they get married in the honeymoon suite after they kill that couple or after Tiffany kills that couple. And he's like, yeah, well, I've got her. And he's like, fine, kill her. I don't care. So you just, it's again going to, Tiffany's got the realization though. He never he cared. Care. Yeah. And uh, so I think in the end, like Tiffany ends up back with, Chucky and I think I think he's like yeah I'll give it to you or whatever he doesn't like 
he has he keeps flipping between it's very much so like the joker and harlequins and i'm not it's talking about exactly what i was thinking about i'm talking about in the animated series where it's like an abusive relationship but mm. he goes through parts where he loves her but she's so far down on his priority list um it's like he forgets that she's there sometimes yeah but they have some moments where they're getting along just fine and then he's still prioritizing getting a human body for himself yes so they have the couple tied up uh somehow they managed to flip it around where they've got control again and uh you can tell i'm remembering a lot about this film <laughs> um but basically chucky has the talisman and he's about to go do and then tiffany's like oh give me one last kiss whilst we're still the dolls and then she stabs chucky in the back and she's like don't you see we can't let this couple become just like us um so she stabs chucky uh but he oh yeah he then stabs her he comes back up she's about to try and untie the couple chucky is of course you have to have noticed from the first child play films a simple stab in the back is not going to end him he takes the knife he's revived oh yeah (laughs) he stabs her and all he can say is oh get off my knife and he just like pushes her away and then uh Catherine Heigl has a gun on him throughout all that then she managed to grab a gun because they were partner and tight so they managed to get themselves out and she's about to shoot him and he's like fine do it I'll come back I always come back but by god dying's a bitch and then she shoots him and that's the end of the film um and I I have to say it was it was great crack but it's it was very much so like nowadays I suppose I'd be watching it kind of almost in the background like it's it wasn't it was a bit of fun but it's not like yeah. paying a tremendous amount of attention to it hence how I managed to retain every part that happened in that film um there's not that much trivia I suppose that goes with the film there was just something that was a bit of fun was um two of Rob Zombie's songs from when he was in the band uh White Zombie and then when he did his solo work uh are played in that film oh. and Brad Dorf who does the voice of Chucky plays the sheriff um in the in rob zombies remake of uh halloween oh wow yeah so the sheriff in that film is the guy who does the voice of chucky i must also say that i was a bit harsh on rob zombie in the past i've actually listened to the um eli roth history of horror episode Mm -hmm. with rob zombie and looking at it from his perspective and what he tries to do with his characters actually kind of makes sense to me now and I get it a bit more and it's like I don't really agree with that part being overly there but he was like I really want you to hate people and I was like oh that's exactly what happened yeah Um, but it, it he I'd actually say listen have a listen to the episode he's on because I was kind of like need to make an apology here and was that sorry was that the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. okay so yeah, his episode with it it is actually really good and the way he describes yeah. it and talks about it I was kind of like okay no I can I yeah. I had judged well, I suppose, and I'm yeah and, and I'm I big enough too, to go yeah. no yeah actually yeah okay well, back there now yeah and then just the only other thing I could get was the director of this film was a man called Ronnie Yu. And he was also the director of Freddy versus Jason. So just hmm. that's the caliber of wah, style of hilarious horror films that you get from that man. And I'm like, fair play. Nicely done. Love it. 
Fantastic. Um, It's actually um, one I've never seen. I definitely have it here. I'm going to have to watch it after that. Um, But I've never seen it. Um, I did see one of the other ones that came as a result of that kind of revival. Um, that would be imagine would that have been Seed of Chucky because that's it wasn't no it wasn't even Seed of Chucky there were a few after um, oh it was awful yes Jesus I forgot about that there was two more after that yeah there was one where there is girl and she's wheelchair wheelchair? yeah it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life yeah it was awful they did they kind of went downhill like Friday Chucky was great. See the Chucky, no. And then the other two where Tiffany's not in it. Yeah. And it's just back to like that one. I can't even remember. I think that was the second last one before the remake of Child's Play. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge cult following for those ones. Yeah. They're, they're like huge. Like that. Again, is... I thought that one was just full of characters who were so obnoxious and he just. Shite, like, yeah. For the sake of being shite. Um, but yeah, so my my the second remake that I looked at was Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been like obviously there was Carrie and there was a few follow-ons there. Um, and you had the um 2002 kind of made for movie one, made for was movie, <laughs> made for TV. Carrie two. No, this is actually like a another remake. Of oh, Carrie. So there was an NBC oh. one um, where you have Angelina Bettis who plays Carrie and she was in, she's in May and 12 Hour Shift, which is a movie I didn't see this year, but apparently is one of the best kind of horror movies to come out of 2020 as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I haven't in, heard of that either. Yeah. Uh, Bless the Child and ABCs of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's a she's a horror um, alumni, definitely. Yeah, uh, that's a quite a name to me. Yeah. And then you have Margaret. The mother is played by Patricia Clarkson. Um, she's a brilliant actress. She's in um, EZA and stuff like that. She's just mm. a really, really great actress. And then you have um, Catherine Isabel, who's just the bitch, Tina. And uh, she's again like this real horror alumni, like Ginger Snaps, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so you have the obviously the nineteen seventy six. Then you have the two thousand two, which I didn't really look at. Yeah. Um, it was just that kind of little bit there. Um, and then you have the two thousand thirteen, where we have Chloe Grace Moraz who was in Amityville Horror and was also in another kind of remake, which is one thing I stayed away from or what I didn't want to do where they took a foreign horror and made it into a US mm-hmm. horror. I kind of thought that actually could be something that we'd look at completely separately. Um, so she was in Let Me In as well, the, the American kind of version of Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Carrie is, um, it's a movie based on a a Stephen King novel. So Carrie White is a shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering, very religious um, mother. And she finds out that she has telekinetic powers and she kind of unleashes these at her prom. Um, Originally, in the original movie, you have uh, Sissy Spacek playing Carrie which Mm. is kind of like this movie 
is so iconic that I don't think like when you think about Carrie, I do think you think of the original to begin yeah. with. Um you you see the poster um and it's just it's so visual. So in the original you have Sissy Space, like you have Piper Laurie and you have an old young old um John Travolta. Yes, yeah. Um, which is gas. It's hilarious. So you start off um with Carrie and she is in um she's in gym class in the original she's playing volleyball in the 2013 remake they are playing water volleyball <laughs> so it's the same thing but just in the swimming pool but um it's that whole thing of during PE like and gym class like I was terrible at PE I never wanted to be picked um, I really didn't care if I was the last one to be picked for a team sport. Oh, yeah. I yeah. didn't want to play. Um, it really didn't matter. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a school, though, um, for the first three years where we walked into PE and our teacher quite openly admitted that he hated first years and that <laughs> um, he wouldn't like us for the entire year. And um, But from second year up he would and he fairly kept to it so first year you had to do PE you had to do everything second year you could go for a walk and Mm. the walk was from the school around up by McDonald's and back and the only things that you couldn't do were you couldn't uh, cross over to Rathmull and you couldn't go to the shop and you couldn't go for a smoke so myself and the girls used to cross the road take a shortcut to the shop in Rathmull and have a cigarette and be back after <laughs> everybody else who walked the actual walk. So that will just tell you a lot <laughs> of fitness. Um, so you have this scene and there is a ball thrown at, um, at Carrie and she misses it. And um, there's all that teasing that goes on with. Yeah. <laughs> with teenage sports, girls. With teenage girls and sports. Um, and then it goes into the shower scene and you have uh, Carrie who's in the shower and um, she gets her first period. Now she's yeah. like a much older girl, like it's unusual to have only been getting her first period at this stage. Um, but she's, so she's terrified. Also really repressed she has as well, yeah. really repressed. She has no idea what this is. Um, her mother has never explained she was previously homeschooled so that explains why she would never have heard of this in biology either um and she is she's terrified she there's blood and she thinks she's actually going to die so she goes to the girls in her class and she's pulling at them and she's putting bloody handprints on her classmates and they start to take out um tampons and sanitary pads and start throwing them at her and it's really traumatic and one mm-hmm. thing that actually I was thinking about I was like god that would have been so handy to have in school when we were in school if you could just go up and get like a sanitary towel or like a tampon rather than shoving a bag up your jumper to go to the bathroom so not everybody in the whole school knew that you're on your period yeah um but ew, yeah so you have this really dramatic <laughs> experience and the teacher comes out and the teacher is like, what are you doing? This is awful. And like Carrie's going mad. She thinks she's going to die. So this teacher slaps her across the face. Now, 
never an okay thing to do to slap somebody across the face I feel in 1976 when this movie first came out it was a lot more acceptable 2013 Mm -hmm. though I think this isn't the part that you recreate this isn't the part that you recreate at all because I was just kind of like there's no way she would have gotten away with that in 2013 there's absolutely not no but the teacher (laughs) slaps her across the face she brings her back to kind of some sense of like oh god and they bring her to the office and there's this whole of course really awkward um scene between the male principal who can't um talk about the fact that women have periods and um then she's sent home in the first one she walks home she gets home that's fine in the second one she is um she's collected by her mother who is played by julianne moore yeah um your favorite um clarice yeah yeah, yeah. i was thinking the minute i saw her in it again i was like oh i forgot it's it's emer's um favorite person from hannibal just ruins it <laughs> just ruins it um and i must say like compared to piper laurie she's just um she's not up there with um, no. Margaret. but in fairness i think um piper laurie in the first like in the 1976 movie is just so brilliant in her character that you actually couldn't touch her anyway I don't know who would have done it kind of justice or to like close to that mm. um so you do have you very quickly find out that um Carrie is being brought up in this like extremely religious um household and that um she is like put into a cupboard under the stairs where she has yeah. to pray and it's it's very clear that this girl is being brought up in a very abusive home and an abusive relationship with her mother where she's very conflicted in the fact that her mother is horrific to her but she still loves her and very early on you see that she has like these telekinetic kind of powers um and it goes on um one of the girls who was a part of the whole plug it up or um the um kind of throwing of the tampons and sanctuary tells kind of gets a bit of a conscience and she decides that actually um she shouldn't have been involved in this and this wasn't fair and what they did to carry wasn't fair at all um, the teacher uh, who was played by Judy Greer actually in the 2013 she's a brilliant um, mm-hmm. really really excellent um, actress and she's in the Halloween the new kind of revival of uh, yeah and in one of my other favorite movies who actually has Marilyn Manson in it as well Jawbreaker um, oh, yes. yeah so she's the teacher in the 2013 one and in both uh, in both the original and the remake, it becomes she wants to make sure that the girls can't go to prom, but the school decides that actually they just need to do a detention and um, but it's going to be her detention. So it's like PE and it's just grueling and rotten. Um, and one of the girls decides that, no, she's having none of this, that she's not yeah. doing the class, that this is this is actually torture and sure Carrie had it coming to her in the 2013 version um 
they do bring it into the kind of modern age where they upload the video and they make a fake profile for her on like the version of Facebook and like her favorite drink is a Bloody Mary and all this stuff. And um, she decides that she's not going to finish this, um, this detention. So she gets suspended, which means she can't go to the prom. So she takes it on that this is her lifelong mission now that Carrie actually deserved what was coming to her and that she actually only helped Carrie so she can't understand why she would be suspended and this is very unfair. So their plan, she decides to um, bring her boyfriend into the mix and that they go to a slaughterhouse, they kill a pig and they get blood and they're going to um, drop this on Carrie at the prom Mm. and the girl who has had this like conscience conscious kind of this change of conscience um she gets her boyfriend who's this really popular guy who's actually just a really nice guy it turns out to ask harry to the prom and just to give her the night that she deserves so that she has this really nice night and actually the intention is always good between those two they just decide that they are going to give her this really nice night they're a couple aren't they they're a couple yeah yeah. and he um comes and collects her and carrie comes back and she tells her mother that she's going to the prom and then the mother starts like spouting out like after the blood comes the boys and then there's the intercourse and she smacks carrie in the face with the bible and like it's just Mendel and she's saying that she's not going to be going to the prom and uh Carrie's then kind of reveals that she has these powers to her mother yeah um and so in the first one it's all the windows are closing down and the remake she like lifts all of the um all of the furniture and she lifts the mother as well and um the mother calls her a witch and everything and she goes and she makes her dress and it's this lovely montage and um she's going she's getting ready for the prom and it's this whole usual thing the young girl takes her glasses off and she's been beautiful all along um so she gets dressed up and she's absolutely stunning and um she's ready to go and the mother is again kind of like he's not gonna come um they're all gonna laugh at you this is a joke this is a trick and carrie is like no this is my night and she um she makes the mother stop speaking through her telekinetic power. So she, in again, in the original, she just makes her stay in the house. In the remake, she puts her into the, the cupboard under the stairs. Um, and she goes to the prom. She has a lovely night mm-hmm. up until a certain point, <laughs> of course. So the bitchy girls, the popular girls, decide that they're going to rig that Carrie is the person who wins. Mm-hmm. Um, the prom queen and when she does win it they pull the uh, pig's blood they pull the bucket and they uh, the pig blood falls onto her and then everything goes tits up pretty much yeah yeah quickly. yeah <laughs> it's um but even like the the visual of it like it's amazing in the original it then goes to this like split screen it's really cool and like everything's red everything she sees is red and like the rage yeah you know, it's you just say, oh, pure rage and um she starts to um kill everybody who is pretty much involved 
in this uh, mm-hmm. using her powers and then she sets because the, everyone starts laughing at her everyone starts laughing at her um, and then the the guy who helped her well who brought her to the prom he gets hit in the head by a bucket mm-hmm. that seems to kill him quite quickly which is mad um, yeah. and the couple the girl who had been suspended and the boyfriend they get out so they get out of the, the prom um, and um, they, it goes up in flames and everything. But um, she comes home and she she has a bath and she cleans herself off. Um, in the one for 2002, actually, the TV movie, this is where the mother tries to kill her. She tries to drown her while she's in the bath. Yeah. And uh, carry through her powers of uh, telekinesis stops her mother's heart. Oh yeah, and the nice girl, well, the girl, the redeemed girl, I suppose, is mm-hmm. the one who comes in, takes Carrie out of the bath, and actually revives her. And in the two thousand and two one, she survives. Um, so in the in the original and the remake, um, the mother is kind of giving her this false sense of like loving encouragement and telling her everything's okay and like we're gonna pray on it and uh, she tries to kill her um this i i don't know if like on tiktok there's a lot of videos where it's like what uh, what video lives in your head rent free the scene (laughs) in the 1976 carrie movie where carrie kills her mother lives in my mind rent free it is terrifying and then looking at the like comparison of the way she is like the the, she basically it looks like she's on she's been crucified so you have the comparison there of the um the crucifixion that's hanging up as well and it's a very kind of artistic gruesome that kind of goya thing that we were looking at before and her hair is completely wild and even when she speaks in the original the mother is real sing-songy she's real culty she's just bananas um and that to me I actually think that scene is the most terrifying to me yeah um they try and kind of do the same thing in the 2013 one but I don't think anything will ever come close to that and in the 2013 one Carrie is a lot more witchy um, she oh. actually flies at one stage oh. or levitates I imagine is what they want it to be that like obviously she can do that through her powers um, but even the movements that she has is like there's a lot of hand movements and turning things around and it's a lot more um, there's a lot more gestures with it where I think Sissy's basics Carrie was just so good because she was just so yeah. stiff and it was just her eyes and it was like it was just her mind but with um chloe grace Mraz's one it's more kind of like she's like almost conducting her powers it's just a bit mad yeah um so yeah it's funny because with amityville horror i would say that the remake was what i would have looked at a lot more um but with this one 100 percent the original yeah it just um, didn't do it any justice no no now one thing um i was watching like a uh, the making of carrie oh and um one thing that was said was so <laughs> 
I just thought this was hilarious where it was like there's a lot of nudity in the second scene of the film in um, Carrie, the original. So it's like this real slow motion through the um, changing room after PE and there's a lot of frontal nudity. And uh, they said this was explained as um, a mechanism to unsettle the viewer. So it was this type of nudity was never really seen until about the ninth scene in a horror movie by then. Um, and this was to like kind of show that the show the viewer that the director was like, he'd do anything. He was mad. You wouldn't know what was coming. <laughs> and all I thought of when I saw it straight away in the credits was, oh, yeah, I'm definitely watching a 70s horror movie. Yeah, yeah, a lot more female nudity. Like, top, <laughs> yeah. To me, I was like, this doesn't unnerve me at all. The, I, I, the only part that unnerved me with it was actually Susie's face, like in the shower, and she was like, and they say the words, lathering herself up. And it was just, you were like, why is this kind of weird? It's like the start it's of a core yeah. point. Very yeah. strange. Very strange, but I thought um, I thought you'd like that little bit. So again, the <laughs> nineteen <laughs> that bit of trivia. Uh, the nineteen seventy six took in three point eight. Sorry, thirty three point eight million US dollars. Um, it gets a ninety three percent rating on oh, Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, which makes a hundred percent sense. Um, and then two thousand thirteen took in eighty four point eight million US dollars and has a fifty percent Rotten Tomatoes. Um, rating but out of them I would probably go with your 2005 Amityville and your 1976 Carrie yeah they're saying apparently the reason why um, the mother hate you know was so against the sexuality of Carrie and holding off her hopefully getting her period was they think that the mother was raped and that Actually, Carrie was yeah in the first one yeah they do say that she was she was the child of somebody who had taken the mother and she yeah. says that she should have um she should have killed um killed herself when she got um well, I suppose she's she so pregnant. religious yeah yeah exactly now in the second sorry in the remake um it actually opens up with her giving birth um it's quite a graphic oh. scene of her giving birth um and she thinks she's dying I don't know that she realizes she was pregnant um oh, but yeah. that's it's definitely more of a consensual thing in the second one um well not in the second one in the in the remake and it had me kind of thinking about why these movies that have such a huge um they have such a huge reputation of being like the kind of like like if you talk to somebody, they'll be like, oh, they're 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 like, you need to pay your dues by watching these movies if you're going to say yeah. you're this horror fan, right? Which I think is a bit of a silly concept anyway. Um, and to be honest, these much older horror movies, I don't find them anything nearly as terrifying as things that have come out recently. And um, what I was thinking about was what was it that in the 70s with these huge horror movies that you would turn around to our parents and go, what was the one? Or like, what was the really scary thing there? So you have the likes of like The Omen was 
76, you have the Exorcist, which is 73, you have Amityville, which is 79, and then you have Carrie, which is 76 as well. So you have these four movies that really are kind of, they're, they're iconic horror movies that you go, yes, these are terrifying and like again if you want to pay your dues you have to have watched these Mm -hmm. which again is just such a stupid concept but they are great films and they are kind of like to understand kind of where some of the horrors come you're you're like you need to be understanding where it's been and all that stuff but I was trying to kind of think what what was it that made it so scary at that time and I was thinking like the church was such a huge thing. Oh yeah. Then yeah. and it had such a huge control. And this is the main theme that went through these horror movies. Like there's a sense of possession or this really strong religious yeah. theme. And it is. And I was kind of like, that actually would have been something that definitely say like my mom, who is from like a rural mm. kind of place, like Galway that you're like she would have been terrified of this like thing that they had been taught through the whole way through school that was a hundred percent real and that you were a hundred percent going to go to hell and obviously these things did happen so I was like I can understand how these movies then were so terrifying and I think it kind of made more it resonated more with me this week especially because there was a lot in the media about the mother and baby homes this week yeah um so was that kind of religious aspect as well and for anybody who's listening that's outside of Ireland and might not know the whole background obviously I won't go um too into it there was just there is the um mother and baby home in Tume where they found um the remains mass of grave. yeah. mass graves of of babies and um they think upwards of 800 children died um there and it where was, they sent unwed mothers and their kids to basically work in laundries as well yeah. to pay yeah. off your debt for your sin for your sin and this was the thing and i was kind of like knowing the hold that the catholic church had on people in these times and it, like this this particular one this bonds cure one tomb did close in it closed in the 60s i think it was like 65 or something mm-hmm. um but sorry 61 um but to me then i kind of went right I, I can understand the absolute fear that would go with these movies then. the religion back then had such a strong a stranglehold basically it's on a lot of cultures yeah. And there was apparently a deleted scene in The Exorcist, uh, and it was of Father Karras and Father Marin sitting down, kind of in the earlier stages of the exorcism. And Father Karras is asking Dr. Marin, uh, Father Marin, he's like, why a girl? Why this 12-year-old innocent girl? And Father Marin says, it's to make you despair. It's mm. to make you like absolutely think that well if they can get this young innocent girl then they can get anybody and it's to make you hate religion so much you turn your back on it yeah and I feel like that deleted scene should have been kept I don't know why they didn't keep that in the original film but I'd imagine that even though it was such a movie that was like it could have been viewed um against the Catholic Church in a sense they were probably like oh we won't put that into it 
because yeah. we don't want to be seen as the people who will turn around and say we it, it, turn people against religion yes yeah um which yeah it, it just when we were when I was thinking about it I was like why doesn't this scare me in the way it would have scared people then and I was like I actually think that that might be a whole do- different time different mentality totally different time and yeah yeah and as well I suppose I, these things hadn't been seen then but um mm-hmm. yeah no it was just especially with everything in the news this this week which was absolutely heartbreaking um it just had me thinking about about that yeah well on that sad note we're yeah. going to give things a little bit of a spin we're trying out this new thing where grace got a cool present where it was like I think of them as like scratch cards, but yes. they're scratch and watch instead of scratch and sniff. Um, and so it's a hundred films that we're going to do, not a hundred, all of one. We're going to do- <laughs> Sit in, strap yeah, in. <laughs> the next 10 hours. No, uh, we're going to do one a week for the foreseeable, well, hundred weeks, I'd imagine. Um, and the first one, oh, I had to laugh. I was like, why? Why have the first one to watch? It's the 2014 Annabelle film which I'll admit I had such high hopes for going in to watch because I thought it's it was directly after The Conjuring. I think The Conjuring was 2011 or 2012. And you're like, oh, well, if this is by the same group that made The Conjuring, then this is going to be fantastic. And I was so disappointed. Uh, of course, Lee Wanell did not, not Lee Wanell, sorry, James Wan, he did not direct this. And mm-hmm. it was, I think, the guy who was like, not even the the secondary director, the secondary set director, it was like someone I think who was like the, I can't, I can't remember, but someone who had a lower, and apparently this director has like this whole thing where he doesn't, he directs like the sequels. He's a sequel guy. Like, okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, I just felt like it wasn't really all that scary. The characters were very wooden. Like I didn't, I wasn't rooting for the couple at the end. I just, mm-hmm. I, uh, and I felt like as if the characters were, they were all just dropping uh, exposition. That's all they were there for. And like the woman who owned the bookstore at the second half of the film, like she just keeps popping up. She, like she actually you, does. <laughs> if you need me for anything, I'll be right here. Oh, here she is again. And I'm going to, I also have a book, you know, like part of my bookstore is on demonic books. And I've got one that basically the whole title of, so someone wants to steal your baby's soul. <laughs> But that's my take on it. And I have to say, I'm just, I'm only so disappointed because I loved the first Conjuring. Yes. And I'm yeah, almost no, a bit worried a for this. fan about that. Yeah. Like Conjuring one of what was it, evil made me do it or something. I'm like, that's going to be the excuse. So many kids there. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Evil made me I, do it has been the background of so many films. Yeah. Um, that's all yeah. awesome for this week. Um, next week we are doing we are looking at killer kids oh yeah yeah which from two women that don't have children this is a great episode yeah yeah we can talk about killer kids just because we don't have them doesn't mean we can't be scared of them exactly make sure to join us for next week where we mm-hmm. will talk be talking about I am um, films where kids decide to kill adults and possibly mm-hmm other kids because i haven't yep. looked into it yet <laughs> no we'll have more to talk about it then uh, and follow us on our instagram page at because you're home with underscores between every word where you can message us if you want to talk about anything or tell us what that uh, inflation rate was on the 80,000 on the house in um, please in do. yeah please do
but anywhere near close to 800,000 let us know or not and we will chat to you next week bye bye um yeah sorry i'm just looking no i've nothing more to add yeah no big thumbs up (laughs) big Uh, thumbs up from you (laughs) 